What is up, fantasy people? You are back with the True North Fantasy Pod, presented by Monkey Knife Fight. As always, I am Travis Seal, coming live from Dirty Dirty Laundry Studios 2.0. Got the man with the master plan, co-hosting in West Coast, and with me, Tyrell McLaughlin. How are you feeling on this fine Wednesday night? my friend uh living the dream doing well thank you football is commenced it's the greatest feeling in the world yeah amen to that buddy i am very excited as we get into our in-season episodes and uh yeah lots of breakdown from this past week i would be remiss if i did not mention that we are of course a part of the fantasy points media group um appreciative of all of the great people over at fantasy points for all of their support if you go to fantasy points you're getting elite resources elite analysis elite minds that all of these resources analysis are coming from you get tons of other benefits they got a wicked discord channel over at fantasypoints.com where you can get access and talk to some of those minds that i just mentioned um and just last night ty actually they had a projections live stream uh, where the whole gang got together, you had Joe Dolan, uh, John Hansen, the legend himself, Scott Barrett, Graham Barfield, Wes Huber, and Tom Brawley were all in the lab. And of course, Ben behind the glass as well. And they had a really good show. It was a lot of fun. It's, it's always fun when all those guys get together because um, they have a blast kicking the conversation off of each other. And, and it's fun for us to watch. So if any of our listeners want to go check that out, Ty, fantasypoints.com. And then our promo code 21 True North 10 will get them 10% off of the subscription over there. So in my opinion, Ty, it's already the best deal on the market. And uh, 10% extra off the top because you're a fan of the True North Fantasy Pod is uh, a nice little cherry to be had, in my opinion. Okay, we are uh, we're getting into it, Ty. Week one is in the books, and we are, uh, you know, there's a lot of overreactions coming out there, and uh, a lot of people who are getting hyped on some of the stuff that we've seen, and rightfully so. Um, we are here tonight to set some of that stuff straight and let you know where you maybe can overreact or maybe where you should just pump the brakes on that reaction because um, a lot of stuff is unfurled and a lot of stuff is yet to unfurl. So I think it's going to be fun for us to break that down, eh, buddy? Yeah, totally. We can unclean and feral all this. I think uh, there's <laughs> a lot going on. Like a lot really does change in just one week. You get to uh, confirm some biases and then you get to also uh, react and adapt to some things, especially injuries as uh, as those start to pile up even early on in the season after one week. Yeah, and you said it, Ty. We're going to talk a little injury news right off the hop here, and then we're going to get into uh, a nice beefy segment of trend spotting, which is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to look at a bunch of stuff that's happened and see if we can project that going forward, or like I said earlier, if we need to pump the brakes. And then, of course, we're going to get into I Got Five on it with Monkey Knife Fight, and then talk a little bit of our weekly rankings because um, we're, we're in the thick of it, man. We are dialing up those weekly rankings every week, so make sure if anyone wants to check those out, go to truenorthffb.com, our new website. Um, it's uh, It's been a great launch for the new site by the way ty and i'm really thankful so anybody checking this out tell your friends go check it out use the resources right we um you know telling your friends is awesome spreading the word is great we want people to use it and make it functional for them and see how it works for them give us feedback on that and we can just keep adding to that for the people so um thanks for all the support to everybody out there checking out the website that means a lot um the first thing like like you said ty we're going to get into some of these injuries uh, the first one we're just going to kind of touch on a little bit is the Michael Gallup injury from last Thursday night against the Buccaneers. They had that uh, that lights out game to kick off the season against the Bucs. Uh, but Michael Gallup has a uh, calf strain that's looking like about three to five weeks he's going to be out. 
is uh, what I had there. And um, I, yeah, I don't think we need to go too deep into it because we were attaching to these other pieces. I think it further cements Amari Cooper and CD Lamb tie. But I think you had a good take on how it could be distributed just as far as how these guys are used and where on the field they are used with. I'm liking Cedric Wilson as the waiver wire pickup for this week um, as the third guy. But um, we, we got to be a little bit hesitant on him just stepping right into that Gallup role, eh? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Cedric Wilson's a guy that you're going to be starting this week, that's for sure. And uh, even going forward, like, I'm not sure how many snaps he's really, uh, how many snaps we should expect him to see. uh, Because all these guys can and did in week one play in the slot. If people are really trying to uh, peg somebody for that slot role in Dallas, I think it's Amari Cooper 30% of the time or 20% of the time. I think it's CeeDee Lamb 20 to 30% of the time. And then the other like 40 to 60% could be a conglomerate of Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. Both tight ends can play and did in week one in the slot. And that goes for both running backs as well, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I mean, how long have we been saying, get Tony Pollard in the slot in Dallas? But yeah, we finally did see it in week one. And we saw some receptions and snaps with both running backs on the field. So I think we do continue yeah. to target the passing game in Dallas. I think these game scripts that will be presented in that offense, uh, We'll just, you know, cater to fantasy football. So I think mm-hmm. Gallup or sorry, uh, CD lamb and Amari Cooper are both, you know, wide receiver ones, top 12 wide receivers going forward. And they're the biggest winners in this, uh, in this, you know, short-term injury situation with Michael Gallup. But I think it's a bump for Dalton Schultz and, and Blake Jarwin and Tony Pollard and all those guys as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, like the tight ends were really, really involved. To your point there, Ty, uh, CD and Amari had 22 and 23 slot snaps, respectively. Cedric Wilson had 23 himself. Um, and then Jarwin had 19 and Dalton Schultz had 18. So that's some pretty good work in a, a really good passing offense. Um, remains to be seen the spread, but just like you were saying there, I would probably be targeting a little bit of Dar- Dalton Schultz and then Cedric Wilson as that kind of bottom of the depth chart um, fantasy piece, just in case um, he starts getting heavily targeted, we can be kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve on having him on our rosters there. Um, the next guy sticking with the wide receivers tie is uh, a formerly big star and somebody who's just been battling to get back on the field, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. Um, he's still recovering from last year's ACL tear, um, and it's hurting. I was expecting a little bit of a bounce back. I thought he was going to play last week. I actually, um, I'll be honest here, Ty, he was in one of my rosters and I was out and about with the family and was not able to get to my rosters before that afternoon game slate. So I did accidentally start him in one spot, unfortunately, but um, what's your take on Odell being out for a little bit and how are you attacking this passing game in, uh, in Cleveland? Yeah, I'm probably not. I think uh, I can't remember who they have. Do they have Houston this week? They do. Uh, yes. I believe. Yeah. So they could very likely run, run, run the ball. I made a joke in our group chat that I could imagine Baker throwing like nine passes. I just remember <laughs> that Kirk Cousins. I think it was last year, Kirk Cousins week one outing yeah. where they won and he threw under 10 passes or something. I kind of imagine a very similar scenario. If that doesn't unfold, there's definitely room for somebody like Anthony Schwartz to blow up on one single play in the first quarter off play action or mm-hmm. whatever, because, you know, there's really nobody, uh, that the Houston Texans can put back there to defend anybody's deep ball. So I think Anthony Schwartz is definitely in consideration, but we talked about it like it's more of a GPP play in DFS. And I think uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones maybe deserves to be sprinkled amongst some lineups as well. Uh, but mm-hmm. I definitely don't think we're ranking these guys too high or considering them in season long yet. And I think Jarvis Landry might be the only play yeah. from that passing game we should be looking at because even in Joku and Austin Hooper splitting time in that tight end room. 
Yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know if I would necessarily start them, but I am definitely acquiring David and Joku where I can. Um, just a former first round pedigree, mega athlete, got some really good work this past week, actually tied for the team lead in targets with five. Um, and so did Anthony Schwartz, though. I love that call by you, Ty, because Anthony Schwartz was a speedster coming out of college. Yeah, and he's kind of something that this offense doesn't have, right? And he had three catches last week for a very nice 69 yards, I might add, um, on five targets to share the lead with Jarvis and David Njoku. So, um, yeah, we're a little trepidatious just because this isn't necessarily the passing game that you want to attach to, but there are some pieces that could give you some good weeks, and especially in your tight end premium leagues. I picked David Njoku up wherever I could because if he's getting five targets a game, he got a couple of red zone targets as well. Um, you know, that could lead to some tight end one weeks in the flex if you're hurting for somebody. So um, I, I think that's kind of a good way to attack the Browns. More wide receivers, man. They're dropping like freaking flies, and I don't like it, especially for this guy, and that's Jerry Judy in Denver. Uh, four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Those are notoriously nasty to deal with and come back from, especially for a wide receiver who has to plant. Um, who are you attacking? Like, Do you think this bumps Cortland Sutton, or do you think it more just bumps the guys behind uh, Jerry Judy? Like, I think it gives a slight bump to all the weapons. Like, Cortland Sutton is now the clear number one while Judy is out. There's no doubt. I'm just not sure he doesn't end up, like, a bit overranked in a lot of weeks here coming up, uh, or at least in tough matchups in particular. Like, he struggled against James Bradbury in week one, pure and simple. Uh, Cortland Sutton was in a bad matchup against James Bradbury. But Noah Fant, I think he might get a couple more looks. Even the Noah Fant, like, if you look at AOK, there's another tight end who's splitting with Noah Fant. Like, he was out there mm -hmm. quite a bit. And white, you know, AOK -okay might be what keeps Fant from like taking that big step in fantasy terms, like a breakout season that we we're kind yeah. of hoping for. So the guys we're left talking about here with Jerry Judy out is Tim Patrick, lest we forget. I mean, he did score more fantasy points than Jerry Judy last year. Uh, he was the leading wide receiver in Denver in that column, but and his six touchdowns led the team last year as well. And we think this team could maybe score more this year with this advantageous strength of schedule. Uh, Tim Patrick's also like smack dab in the middle because he was an older prospect. So he's like in his prime. He's like 27 or 28 years old. Um, and, you know, I love me some KJ Hamler, but yeah. I, I just go back to this offense is still just not really built to like unleash his skill set. You know what yeah, I mean? I don't think the 100%. game scripts are going to necessarily yeah. be there either. Uh, but he also dropped a deep ball touchdown that he just should have had in week one uh, mm -hmm. right off his. That was just a wild one. I thought he thought he could have had that one. But the Broncos have a pretty soft strength of schedule. They looked good in week one. So. How many times are they going to be forced to try that play, right? So I think Hamler sure. will definitely be a boomer bust option. You know, like Trav, how startable do you think those guys are with no bye weeks, you know, very few injuries to deal with after week one? Are you thinking of Tim Patrick, Hamburglar as like waiver ads or, you know, could they sniff lineups in like three wide receiver flex leagues? I think if anyone's going to sniff my lineup, it would be Tim Patrick over KJ Hamler, but I would be trying not to have to start one of those guys if I could. Um, but, you know, Tim Patrick could see some see some snaps for sure and some targets, um, especially with Judy going out because Judy was being targeted pretty heavily. He had seven targets before he went down in that game. And uh, I think Tim Patrick could step into some of that, um, but I'd be trying not to start them. I think like you said off the hop there, that the, the real beneficiary could be Noah Fant because behind Jerry Judy on the team, Noah Fant played the most snaps in the slot. And I think that's kind of 
set to increase with Jerry jo Judy gone. Um, and Noah Fant also tied Jerry Judy with the team lead in seven targets. So I think that's going to go up as well. So I think that's really nice for fans, even if AOK -OK is playing more, because they had a really, uh, for what I thought they were going to do coming in, I thought they had a really high um, 12 personnel rate. I can't remember exactly what it was. I put a tweet out, but I can't remember exactly what Denver's rate was. But after that injury, they really pivoted to the 12 personnel. Um, and I think that's good for both of these guys. So um, I think kind of like, I think like an Njoku uh, situation where um, Njoku's the athletic guy behind the main guy. But the thing with Denver is Noah Fant is way more athletic than Austin Hooper, right? So I think Denver's offense is just super versatile still, even without Jerry Judy. Um, but Noah Fant's the biggest be beneficiary for me. Yeah, like I think uh, Tim Patrick and Hamler might be like a, a floor versus ceiling debate. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what are you looking for in that start when, you know, and, but I think this is a little premature before bye weeks and injuries and stuff, you know, 100%. pile up. Uh, but the other thing I think is, you know, number one, I think the Jerry Judy injury is just further incentive for Denver to run, run, run the ball. And the Broncos have the Jaguars this week on the schedule, uh, the Jets the following week. So Javante mm -hmm. Williams is definitely like, like Javante is my top target over the next two games. At least, you know, Melvin Gordon maybe as well, but I do want Pookie over Melvin Gordon. I know that's a bit of a conversation after Melvin Gordon did come out and put up an RB1 outing in week one, but Javante actually outsnapped, had more carries than Melvin Gordon as well. Um, and just to go back to like the 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 reason that I think we want Tim Patrick over Hamler is because Hamler and Noah Fant are kind of cannibalizing each other in the slot there. And so Hamler's somewhat limited, I think, in snaps. Like, yeah, you can kick outside, but Tim Patrick can basically only play outside. So yeah. I think uh, there's a complex there at work as well. And AOK -okay is definitely involved. I mean, he saw multiple targets inside the 10 yard line uh, mm -hmm. in week one, one of the only player, uh, one of the only tight ends to do so. So I think a lot of these guys are not quite on the fantasy radar. We're just monitoring the situation, but target and buy high, maybe on someone like Javante Williams heading into the stretch. Yeah, hundred percent. I think even if I'm a contender, I might put a feeler out there on Melvin Gordon, especially like in a dynasty league, if you can get him for like a little bit less than um, say his week one production, obviously, like if you can play off the fact that he is a descending asset for dynasty leagues. Um, and a universal get a sell little, after week. Yeah, one exactly. Yeah. And people are going to want to try and be getting out. But I think if I'm a contender, I like what they did and I think they're going to run that ball. So I think you're going to get some pr production from Melvin Gordon. I actually have him as my running back 21 for this week where I have Javante as my running back 27. So um it's uh yeah i think he might just get a little edge in those goal line and that goal line work and he broke off a big one last week man melvin gordon's not fully washed so um i've, I've always kind of had a soft spot for melly g because when he was putting up running back one weeks i was winning titles baby a <laughs> <laughs> um, couple more on the darnell docket here for injuries ty and then we're going to get into trend spotting uh ryan fitzpatrick has been put on ir and is expected to miss six to eight weeks with a hip subling subluxation um so for old man fitz magic the hip issues are no surprise um what's your take on uh taylor heineke stepping into the role for washington what do you think of yeah, the, they didn't. the cam newton rumors as well yeah i mean we 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 heard those in the off season as well so i'm not like super tied to it it's definitely like a wait and see what happens on thursday night situation i would imagine because mm -hmm. they don't have much of a choice because of how quick this turn uh turnaround sure. is because yeah the the washington's play uh play the giants tomorrow night. So it's been hard, honestly, to keep track of the starting quarterbacks in Washington since cousins left in free agency. So <laughs> like Taylor Heineke, I think is more interesting than people are giving him credit for in fantasy football in super flex leagues, just because 
he does add with his legs. I actually think he plays a lot like Ryan Fitzpatrick, actually, or he at least looked a lot like Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Bucs in the playoffs last year. I was really impressed by that performance. Um, Heineke is what, a back-end quarterback too, I would say. I might actually start him over guys like Matt Ryan or somebody who uh, – like it, there's there's rankings that would make me look twice, I think, or laugh at how fast uh, things can change in an NFL season. Uh, but yeah, speaking of things changing, like what do you think this does to the weapons, like with the offense in Washington? Because like my feelings on Taylor Heineke for fantasy and real life are very different. Uh, no doubt this, like I said, is a huge opportunity, like to live the biggest job interview of your life. But uh like how much are you downgrading this offense and some of the weapons because the schedule isn't very friendly for Washington either. Yeah, for sure. I definitely would bring the passing weapons down a little bit. Like I, I don't think Logan Thomas is um, necessarily like top five tight end material for me anymore without Fitzpatrick. Terry McLaurin, I still love because that guy is like a transcendent talent. Um, I checked the, I checked the, the game splits on Rotoviz and uh, he only has one game with Taylor Heineke to the tune of like five targets or something like that and 64 yards or something. So it's not like any sample size that you can hang your hat on with chemistry between those two. But I think Terry McLaurin's probably going to be fine. Might just lose a little bit of ceiling with Taylor Heineke. Maybe, uh, you know what? Taylor Heineke's not going to make He's any mistakes. He's never had mistakes. a quarterback either. I just think yeah, like, you know, exactly. one thing we and said like, about Terry is this guy throughout his college career even is just not out of court. Honestly, Trev, with Terry, I'm more worried. Like, I, I'm not too worried about a quarterback change. I'm more worried about the scripted plays a team game plans for i was just shocked that terry mclaurin had zero targets in the first half uh yeah. of their of their game in week one that's unacceptable mm -hmm. and i'll be extremely angry if that happens tomorrow night absolutely and uh we'll make sure to send off a strongly worded email if it does happen again because somebody will need a talking to about that for sure um, antonio yeah, gibson move antonio gibson up exactly. i think that would be I my other washington takeaway yeah because he looks great he did fumble uh maybe yeah like did he fumble twice i think he lost one that was a pretty pivotal mm -hmm. fumble uh but he was used as almost a bell cow back and i think they have less incentive with a mobile quarterback now in taylor heineke to be dishing off to JD McKissick or even protecting him to go deep. I think uh, we could see more use in the passing game from, from, from uh, someone who's playing more on third down in Antonio. Gibson. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I've got him showing two fumbles, but 20 carries. He had five plus targets. JD McKissick did not get very much work at all in that backfield. So I think it's Antonio Gibson's and Taylor Heineke being young, um, just further cements that they're going to want to uh, insulate that quarterback with a strong running game and running back. I think, you know, we might get, we might see a little bit more JD McKissick and Antonio Gibson in the field at the same time. Um, but I don't, I don't hate that at all. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think that's kind of where I'm going for this offense is I'm just loving on some Antonio Gibson a little more. The last one time, this is going to lead us into our trend spotting segment. So I will transition right into there uh, shortly after. But that is uh, Raheem Mostert and the um, San Francisco 49ers. Mostert had that ankle injury um, or sorry, knee injury. And he was expected to just be out for a few weeks or something. But then he came out and said he's getting surgery and his season's going to be done. So what was promising, looking promising for Raheem Mostert in uh, a season where he was coming back from a little bit of injury, as he always is, I guess, um, is no more for Raheem the Dream, the Mostert Tiger. Um, but there's opportunity abounds for, for these other guys because Elijah, Elijah Mitchell came in and had a great week this past week against Detroit. Uh, we saw a little bit of Jamichael Hasty. Um, and then, of course, we got Trey Sermon, who was a healthy scratch 
kind of inexplicably, uh, but we expect him to come back and have some relevance in this offense as well. So what are you making of this? Because people were spending a ton of fab on Elijah Mitchell. Were you in that camp or you, um, do you think that's a little bit hasty? Nah, <laughs> I definitely, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. And actually yeah. I, I'll circle back to the running backs here. I just wanted to bring one thing up about Ayuk because I think him okay. and uh, like, I think there's some pertinent information that applies to, you know, the Trey Sermon situation. Like I think him and Brendan Ayuk might have experienced some disciplinary action. I'm not sure what exactly happened, but I'm not buying the hamstring issue for Ayuk. He hasn't been limited when he was limited in practice before. Snap-wise, he didn't play all first quarter. And I know some people are bringing up Dante Pettis. Let's not trigger each other like that. Uh, <laughs> like it's, a, it's, it's. I think it's kind of an unfair comparison. But he was also doghoused after uh, in in year two hard after a mm-hmm. really impressive finish to his rookie season. Uh, but the point there is that Shanahan has a doghouse and it is big. And so for Ayuk, I think we're sitting Ayuk this week. And we're going to start Debo. Like Debo was the big takeaway, I think, from week one. He saw 60% of the team's air yards and half Mm -hmm. his targets came off play action, which we know is just deadly in San Francisco. And the play action is deadly because teams are so scared of the run against San Francisco, no matter who the running back is there, because of the system, because of the scheme, because of the offensive line. So I think this backfield, for the time being, heading into week two, is fucked. And the beat reporters in San Francisco are fucked. I'm really angry with them as well. Like how they yeah. didn't do like, they, I don't know where they were. Uh, all these beat reporters, nobody could give us any reports, but the takeaways here for me is that it is a committee, right? No matter what happens, it will be a committee. Elijah Mitchell, I think is an RB two or a flex play this week in a tougher matchup against Philly. And he has a wide range of outcomes. Like this kid has a very, wide range of outcomes in week two and going for, uh, forward. Like it certainly like we all loved Elijah Mitchell during the draft process. he fell a little bit in the draft, but the 49ers was a great landing spot. I think the most comparisons are a little silly. And uh, the other concerns just, just stem like it goes back to the committee, right? Or that the hot hand approach just continues or that Elijah Mitchell's role changes with sermon coming back. I think that's my biggest concern. Like mm-hmm. we saw, Jamichael Hasty basically operate as the receiving back. But if Trey Sermon comes back in, is he the early down back? Does that make Elijah Mitchell the receiving back? And then where does that leave Jamichael Hasty? Is he still vulturing goal line touchdowns? Because he did have a, a goal line touchdown run in week mm-hmm. one. So for this week, I have, you know, I if I have to start Elijah Mitchell, I will, but I would rank him like the highest, maybe he's back end RB2, high end RB3. I think Sermon is the guy I'm ranking ahead of Jamichael Hasty, though, for the record. Um, not considering either guy in my starting lineup. But the point there is that this backfield is fluid and it could continue to change rapidly. And yeah. as the season goes on, the big point for fantasy owners is that the lead back for the 49ers could become even more valuable with uh if Trey Lance gets in there, maybe or the 49ers strength of schedule uh that we've talked so much about. Uh like don't forget this. You know, the 49ers in your fantasy football playoffs will get the Bengals, the Titans, the Falcons, and the Texans. Those are like four bottom five run defenses. So I think we really want to monitor this situation. Elijah Mitchell was somebody I was more willing to spend 25 to 40% of my fab on rather than 50 to 75% like some people. But that goes back to my love for Trey Sermon, I think. Yeah, now that's exactly where I sit too, because I think there's even a world that this week, Trey Sermon is the leading ball carrier for the San Francisco 49ers. I just think like if it was a doghouse situation, um, maybe they built up that trust on him on, on the field where he can get that role 
right off the hop. They're confident in him. Um, we'll have to see what happens at practices and things like that, see where he's running. But um, yeah, I think there's that world. So I think those people who spent all that fab on Elijah Mitchell are just going to be disappointed because it's going to be rotational for these guys. We already know there's minimal pass catching for the running backs here. Um, I think there was one running back reception for Jermichael Hasty, and that is it for the team. So I think we're banking on that rushing work that's going to be shared between two or three guys. So while it is a lucrative backfield to have, um, the chips just haven't necessarily fallen enough yet for me to have a definitive opinion on who I want. But I think long-term, I definitely want Trey Sermon. But much like yourself, this week, if I'm throwing a dart, it's going to be Elijah Mitchell. But I'm not going to be as stoked about it. Like, I'm not going to be like 75% fab stoked about it, like you said, Ty. So um, I just want to move back to those wide receivers because Debo had that wide receiver, like, deadly wide receiver week he um the air yards is what really surprised me for Debo and that's where I was wrong coming in to the season I know it's only one game so maybe that's a bit of an overreaction but I did not expect um and I guess I being out is a huge factor in that but I did not really expect that from Debo especially from week one um so good on him for that but I think we might want to pump the brakes on that a little bit like would you put him for the rest of season as a wide receiver two with Ayuk probably coming back um yeah. and do you think they're both wide receiver twos for the rest of the season yeah, and honestly, I wasn't too far off that in the pre-draft process. I really like Brendan Ayuk. I really like Debo Samuel as a wide receiver three or four. I just think Debo has a lot of durability concerns. That's kind of yeah. like there is only a handful of guys that I might label as injury prone. Debo's mm -hmm. kind of one of them. I hate to be yeah. that guy. I just I've always considered him like I just don't want this guy because he's going to get hurt. But yeah. he uh, was pretty undeniable out there. And I think, uh, you know, he he was such a bargain in off-seasons, uh, in the off-season drafts that we were doing that he was hard to fade. So I, I really mm -hmm. like Debo and I think, you know, I just elevate him to that wide receiver two status. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep trotting him out there as such until I, uh, I think that running back market share you brought up is a big deal. Like if we continue to see a low market share for the running back position, and uh, mm -hmm. I think that's going to benefit the wide receivers. I think Ayuk does start to see some more of the air yards. Like I think he yeah. kind of dominates at the end of the season when it comes to air yards and deep targets. And I think that'll only increase if Trey Lance, when Trey Lance uh, gets in there, so I think a lot of this is maybe short-term buy high scenarios, but Debo's definitely a guy you want on your roster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Um... Okay, I'm going to keep us rolling, Ty. we got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, and I am very excited to get to it. Um, so we talked a little bit of Cowboys there. I just wanted to go real quick on them with Zeke. We kind of broke down the passing game. Zeke did not have a good game there, um, but he still had over 80% of the team snaps, even though we saw Tony Pollard used in a tantalizing fashion as somewhat of a utility player for them. Uh, are you buying Zeke right now, or are you selling him? Like, Do you think he can bounce back from that, um, or do you think he's just going to be this frustrating, low-efficiency guy um, and that's what we have to accept him as. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that Zeke will have big bounce back weeks here in the yeah. near future. But the Chargers are, they're, they're not the easiest defense to go against this week. So he's going to be like a back end RB1. Maybe that's the new perception that we hold yeah. for Ezekiel Elliott. And I do think he is heavily tied to his work in the passing game because we talked a lot during the offseason about the efficiency really coming down and how heavily tied he is to yards before contact when it comes to his yards per call, uh, per carry. Uh, not unlike most running backs, we just learned that Zeke is in that group of guys who is reliant on his situation. Like every running back seems to be. Uh, and with Lyle Collins set to miss five games, that offensive line having some, some concerns, I think uh, 
there's a little bit of uh, concern with Ezekiel Elliott. We need to be ready to at least change our change our minds when it comes to his ceiling, I think. And I think his ceiling is really directly tied to the work in the passing game. So we need to make sure he doesn't see that work going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to. I think it's going to happen. They have shown that they actively want to get Tony Pollard involved in this offense. He got uh, he got some carries and he got four targets to Zeke's two. And Tony P had four four receptions for twenty nine yards. So I think yeah. like we like what we're seeing there. Tony's getting a and little I think bit the unlocked. Lesson, and yeah, I, th- I think my lesson with Zeke here is that like you know I was ready to be like yeah I I'm kind of selling Zeke, especially when the narrative is he's going to bounce back. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean. But the other thing is it's a pretty big tier break. Like running back has gotten pretty ugly, pretty quick in 2021 mm-hmm. here. So you get to Ezekiel Elliott. Like if you have the option to start David Montgomery over him, sure. Like if you have some of the, like Saquon Barkley and you want to play him over him, sure. Whatever. Like yeah. these are, you know, I, I just don't know what to say. Like you're getting pretty, pretty ugly, pretty quick there after Ezekiel Elliott. He kind of marks a tier break when you're looking at Chris Carson and, and guys like that who uh, have their own issues, even Najee Harris and guys like that who, uh, you know, I have ranked right around him this week. Yeah, absolutely. I have Zeke as the running back 12 on the week with Najee just ahead of him. Chris Carson, two spots behind him. So I think you put him right in that little sweet spot where he should be. And I'm kind of behind the dip a little bit, Ty. I just think like the carry volume is going to come up a little bit. He had 11 carries, but they were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who can score pretty much at will. Like that offense is so good that... Dallas had to fight fire with fire and go to that passing game. So I don't think he's going to be getting 25 totes a game, but I think he comes up into like that 17 to 20 area more more often than not. Um, And and I think he's going to be fine. So let's just settle a little bit on Zeke because he is still kind of one of those back end top 12 running backs. Just don't necessarily expect that running back one overall weekly ceiling um, unless he's, unless we see Tony fall off in that passing game, like you said, but um Next one, Ty, we talked a little bit of the Niners, and we're going to stick in the NFC West for this one, going to the Arizona Cardinals. And we saw like some interesting things develop in this offense. Um, Christian Kirk had a blow-up game, who's somebody that I previously dogged. Rondale looked nice on limited work. Nuke looked like Nuke. A couple tutties for him. Um, and uh, AJ Green even had a few targets that he did very little work on. So, um, you know, what's old is new again. Um, I want to zero in on this backfield though. James Connor and Chase Edmonds were almost an even split as far as snaps. Um, and James Connor out carried him and obviously Chase Ed- Edmonds got a few targets there. What do you make of this? Like, do you want either of these guys? Or are you avoiding this backfield just because of what that split looks like? No, I was saying in the offseason, I kind of want both of these guys. I think they can both be fantasy viable, even in the same week here and there, because Chase Edmonds is so, you know, he he has a lot of utility on a football team, in my opinion. He's definitely the back you want to start out of these two. Like, he's a guy I think you can plug in as a a flex play every week, Um, because he'll be catching passes. He played all the two-minute offense snaps. Like, he, yeah, like James Conner did out-carry Edmonds, but Edmonds was the guy who went over 100 yards from scrimmage, right? I think Conner like James Conner can be an RB three in a lot of weeks in my rankings. There's no doubt. I just don't know how much higher his ceiling is absent, you know, a touchdown or two in that week, which is really hard to predict, but chase Edmonds is an RB two or a really awesome flex play. I think each week, um, like Trav, who would you start? Would you start chase Edmonds or the guy we talked about before this week, Elijah Mitchell? I think I think I'm probably would go with Chase Edmonds just because that pass catching. Uh, but I think I'm kind of shying away a little bit from this backfield tie just because I think they could be a little bit game script dependent there. 
with that defense looking a lot better, I think they could be up in some games where it's a James Conner week. And if they have to play fast and catch up to a team, then I think it could be a Chase Edmonds week. So I think it's going to be a little bit hard to know when you're going to start these guys or you might start them and it could be that 50-50 split, right? So I don't know if uh, I don't know if they're guys that I really want to hang my hat on necessarily, but I, I you know, if if in a flex play, but as a running back too, I think I would be um, looking to acquire elsewhere to beef up that spot because I don't know if they're going to give us that production that we're going to be happy with just because I think game script could come into play. That defense looked freaking awesome, man. And uh, I think they could look good all season. It's really, there's a lot of athletes on that defense. It's just I also super think, athletic, man. I also think they could be a boat race offense though, like a top five offense. True. That's also one of the fastest offenses, like running just a ton of no huddle. We've seen their seconds per snap and all these pace per play metrics that, just, you know, the Cardinals are dominating the league. And so I think if all goes right, they could really dictate the pace and the pace they want to play at is fast and score lots. And so mm-hmm. uh, I just really want to tie to the system. And it kind of makes me want to talk about this passing game really quick because Kyler looks like he's just set to cook this year. You mentioned New Hopkins too. Christian Kirk catching two touchdowns, but mm-hmm. AJ Green, AJ Green was the clear wide receiver two in this offense. And unfortunately, Rondell Moore was the clear wide receiver four in this offense. So how are you treating the passing game behind Nuke Hopkins right now? Ugh, it sucks, man. Like, I, my heart cannot go after Christian Kirk. You know what I mean? Like, I can't buy into him and giving us consistency just because I'm not sure he is that. Like, I, I don't know, man. He he did get mo- the most slot work, and that is lucrative in this offense. Um, I think it's interesting because Rondale Moore was used out of the slot a little bit, but his average depth of target was only four yards. And if you look at Christian Kirk's average depth of target out of the slot and it was 13 yards. So they're being used a lot differently. So I think green was under 10. Yeah. Well, and I think if we're talking about chase Edmonds targets, I think if anyone's going to siphon those away, it's going to be Rondale Moore as that after the catch weapon, he had 68 yards receiving and 64 of those were after the catch. I put out a tweet just a little bit ago um, today when I was looking into some Rondale stuff, he had 14 passing snaps. He ran 14 routes. Um, 11 of those were from the slot and he got five targets on 14 routes. So I think it showed that like when he's in there, he's going to be a piece of this offense. It's just a matter of whether he gets in there. And I think Christian Kirk is the biggest kind of roadblock to that as opposed to AJ Green, because AJ Green's going to play on the outside mostly. So um, it still remains to be seen. I would be probably looking at picking up Rondale more on the cheap, cheap. I wouldn't start him by any means. I think in the flex, you could probably start a Christian Kirk this week. I still wouldn't feel too great about it, though, even though he had that big week. I, it, it's kind of nuke or bust at this point with Rondale obviously being that long term, definitely a dynasty guy for sure. But for 2021, I think it could be a little bit spotty for Rondale with. Um, well, I think there's. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. And I think there's two sides of that coin when people say, People love the target rates per route run. And I agree. I love that metric as well, but it's a double-edged sword, especially with somebody like Rondell Moore, like the more he's going to see a target on 20% of his snaps. You know what I mean? Like if he's going to see that many targets per snap, teams will know that when he's on the field, there might be a manufactured touch to Rondell Moore. And uh, yeah, this is a spread out offense, but I definitely worry about that. I'm concerned about that. Um, And just put the numbers out here. This is from Dwayne McFarland's utilization report. AJ green ran a route. 87% 87% of the time on passing plays in Arizona in week one compared to 95% for Nuke, 66% for Christian Kirk. So that is really mm-hmm. frustrating. Uh, when you look at AJ Green, just, yeah, head against the wall fashion here for fantasy owners. 
Kirk did see multiple end zone targets. I thought that was kind of interesting. Also 25% of the air yards, which was more than AJ Green. So hopefully the Cardinals staff see the light uh, a little bit quicker than the Bengals staff did last year. And that does make me think Christian Kirk is a super great ad right now. But I feel the same about Rondell Moore because his role can only grow, right? Because Mm -hmm. this offense has so many wide receivers on the field at the same time. So not really looking to start any of these guys, the ancillary pieces right now. I have zero interest in AJ Green. That's for damn sure. But I will uh, probably rank Christian Kirk as like a wide receiver five and Rondell Moore is like a wide receiver six. And I won't be surprised if we're wanting to start both or either of these guys, Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore, uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I think if Rondell continues to do some of the things that he did this past week, I think they'll have to get him in that lineup more. And it was interesting to see that in week one, the um, the four wide receiver sets were down a little bit and the two tight end sets were up a little bit for Arizona. So I think Rondell's efficiency and effectiveness could hopefully skew them back into those four wide receiver sets that him and Christian Kirk on either side in the slot in certain situations and like bunch formations with these guys would just be deadly. If you get Rondale more in there moving around too. So um, just do it cliff, just do it. Um, (laughs) I'm going to move us on to the Seahawks here, Ty. Um, Obviously our boy, Tyler Lockett locked up a couple touchdowns and water is wet. Uh, He left the game and then returned DK got a score as well. Gerald Everett got a score as well. Um, The backfield um, was a little bit messy. Carson had a fumble. Uh, Penny got banged up again. What's new? Um, so let's start with that passing game, Ty. Like Gerald Everett, is he um, kind of a top 12 option for you going forward this season after one week, or is that a little bit mm. overreaction se- central? Yeah, I'm not quite that high on him, but I think he obviously has that upside each week. And you, you don't have a better offense to look at and try and bet on a touchdown being scored by somebody than the Seattle offense. Like Russ is just that good when it comes to touchdown rate, when it comes to end zone efficiency when it comes to deep ball efficiency when it comes to completion percentage over expectation like russ looks like a great mvp candidate through week one we know he was on mvp pace halfway through last year and you know mm-hmm. we we should just probably ride this early season russ wave i think he's he's like my quarterback three or four this week i think maybe i have like lamar and mahomes from that one game ahead of him uh kyler actually thinking of them uh maybe I'd number three kyler for me too i got kyler russ, mahomes and then russ Nice. Yeah. So we're on the same page there, like over Josh Allen, Herbert in a great matchup. Like we want Russ cause he's that good. And I think Russ keeps us up definitely. Cause uh, they get the, uh, the Titans this week. So the Titans couldn't generate any pressure uh, on the quarterback last week. Yeah. So Russ should just be comfy as fuck. I think uh, he just kind of like, like I, I would probably rank DK and Tyler Lockett as top 10 wide receivers this week. I'm think I'm looking at it. Yeah, I do. And uh, we are a well-oiled machine, buddy. I've got Tyler Lockett at eight and DK at 10. Like, fuck. Oh, wow. So I'm probably like the other way. Like I do still have DK over Lockett, but and Lockett's touchdowns, both those like, oh my God, they're just so amazing. Yeah. Have Um, some plums, have some plums, put Lockett above them. Put Lockett and a lot of him. people, uh, like while we're on trend spotting, we should talk about like a lot of people were talking a lot of quick passing, short passing. That was not the case. Seattle just aired it out in week one and uh, looked pretty good doing it. And I think that backfield, like I'd be picking up Alex Collins, uh, especially in deep leagues, because yeah. and maybe even DJ Dallas in your super deep leagues, because yeah, Carson fumbles, Penny gets banged up. Uh, there's definitely room for somebody to emerge. And a 17 game schedule is a long, uh, a long haul. So I'd definitely be starting to stash someone like Alex Collins. 
Yeah, man. I actually dabbled in a little bit of Alex Collins this week on the waiver wire. And uh, yeah, you just never know. It's kind of like the Niners backfield where it's okay to grab that second and third option if you've got that bench spot um, because the boom that could happen could be really, really big. And we've seen Alex Collins do that before um, in the Seattle offense. So I think that's a really good point about these guys. And yeah, nothing else to say really about the passing weapons. I think Lockett and DK are both top 10 weapons and for the foreseeable future for me i'm going to be having those guys at least in the top 12 and then gerald everett i'll probably have him at least back end top 12 tight end um you know most of the way as long as we see he continues to be getting this work so i, I like that this offense is so condensed okay the ne next one man we are going to carolina and uh the sam darnold robbie R robbie anderson revenge game they uh they put it to the jets a little bit obviously christian mccaffrey is the king he was the running back one on the week um and sam darnold got that revenge are you uh are you into sam darnold in this offense ty i've been in on him i really like him in this offense um you know not like top 12 like but you know put up sufficient games and keep these receiving weapons relevant. Um, what are you thinking about Sammy D? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like he <laughs> averaged eight yards per attempt. Like he did exact his revenge, but he was up and down. Like when you watch the game, right? And he hit the deep yeah. ball to Robbie. But the, the thing about Darno is he gets so much yards after the catch from guys like Christian McCaffrey, guys like DJ Moore. Like there's a lot of yards built into this offense for the, for the quarterback. Uh, plus just so many highly ranked players each week. Like Darno might deserve to be ranked higher, but uh, yeah, I just think victory laps are definitely premature. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know if uh, Darno is somebody that I'm looking to start even in a super flex league. Like I'm not sure he's going to crack my top 24 in a lot of weeks just because uh, like, I'm not sure if this offense isn't running entirely almost through Christian McCaffrey, right? Like DJ Moore is still that mid wide receiver two for me. You know, I love his upside week to week, maybe not a ton of touchdown upside, but uh, still love me some DJ Moore. I think Robbie Anderson was like the really concerning week one takeaway for Carolina though. Not uh -huh. just because I went uh, to bat for him during the off season pretty hard, but we might have to adjust how he was deployed uh, was not great. And just the lack of production in week one kind of spoke for itself. Like it sounds strange saying lack of production. Cause he caught, what a, a 50 60 yard touchdown catch 57 uh, or yeah, 57 yeah i think but i think that was his only catch of the day which yeah. is the first time we've been able to say that during his tenure uh with the carolina panthers and i think he i think he saw five targets in every single game at least last year in baby blue uh in his first year and he saw three targets in week one so it just looks like he's more of the deep threat in this offense uh I, where was maybe we thought Terrace Marshall might play that role. And one of the draws for Robbie last year was, and I thought heading into this year was the consistency, right? The usage and speed changes, all that stuff. But I am a bit worried and I am downgrading him after week one in terms of like rest of season value. And I'd probably sell if you can get like top 24 prices for Robbie Anderson right now. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure Trav though, sorry, how much of a vote of confidence that is for Terrace Marshall. So like, give me your Darno thoughts or whatever. Like I still like Robbie a lot more than Terrace Marshall is what I'm saying. Robbie's still like a wide receiver three in my eyes with some upside with that high variance spiked week potential. Uh, yeah. Terrace Marshall, I think is at best like a risky flex play for me still yeah. like in that Elijah Moore range. Um, maybe you, like, what do you think about the Broncos guys we talked about? Would you start Tim Patrick, 
KJ Hamler or would you roll Terrace Marshall out there? If you had to? Ooh, let me just peep the matchups here. So Denver has Jacksonville. That's juicy. And then where's uh, against New Orleans. So um, I think I'm probably would go Tim Patrick over Terrace Marshall, but I think Tim pa- or the Terrace Marshall takeover of Robbie Anderson is just inching closer and closer, man. And I don't know if it's necessarily like a straight up takeover the role, but if you look, DJ Moore had five slot snaps and Terrace Marshall led this team with 19 snaps out of the slot. So that's like a a very defined role that is going to be there in this offense. You know what I mean? And so I think that's really, really good for Terrace Marshall that they trusted him to do that. Uh, So I don't know if that's going to really be fantasy relevant from week to week. And I would probably still put Robbie Anderson a little bit over him, but I think he's inching closer. He's inching closer to where by mid season, I might be a Terrace Marshall over Robbie Anderson easily guy and i've loved robbie anderson previously but that's just how much i love terrace marshall especially in this offense i would go terrace marshall over elijah moore especially this week just because um the offense is a lot better and new orleans probably is going to put some points up against carolina so while the matchup's a little bit tough um i think we see some of that coverage shadowing dj moore and even probably robbie anderson over terrace marshall so this could be a good spot for terrace marshall actually so you know what terrace marshall over tim patrick this week ty Fuck it. I'm doing it. I like I, I, That's what I was thinking. I'm starting Terrace Marshall over those two guys, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Very, very good. I think that's pretty good because CMC is the running back one and water is wet. And we're not even thinking about the guys behind him necessarily. I tweeted um, out, uh, just really, I have to say, I tweeted out the other day, uh, running backs averaging 18 fantasy points per game in PPR over the last two years, like since the beginning of 2019, Christian McCaffrey's averaging about 30 points per game. Mm. Next closest is Dalvin Cook at 22.4. And then down at like fifth is Austin Eckler at 18 points per game. Like he's literally giving you like a 10 point advantage over the last couple of years over the running back five or so. Mm-hmm. Insane. That is yeah. Insane. Christian McCaffrey is something that we have never seen in fantasy before. I don't think. Um, but one thing that I'm going to see pretty soon coming in the mail tie is a brand new championship belt from trophy smack. So I want to give a little bit of love to our sponsors, trophy smack, because, um, I was a part of, uh, of the Kings classic league that Bob Lung puts on. Thanks to Bob for all of his work that he does there. But one of the perks of winning that league is that I'm getting a really cool championship belt from trophy smack. You've seen them on Twitter. They're incredible. If you want to get some hardware for your league and level up your, you know, your championship winnings, I think you need to go to trophy smack. So if you go and use our promo code TNFF um, and buy a belt or a championship trophy, which are also just incredibly sharp looking um you will get a free championship ring with our promo code so make sure you go over to trophy smack there matt and the whole team is doing really really good work and kind of helping us take our leagues to the next level um i've got a live draft that i do every year and we're getting a belt done up for that and i cannot wait to win it and uh be able to walk my picks up with a belt around my waist and just rub it in my friends faces so shout out to the boys in that league they know who they are and i will be uh hopefully rocking some hardware next season courtesy of trophy smack so again any of our listeners go check it out um they're just kind of the best in the business if you want to get hardware they got all sorts of stuff they got losers trophies they've got they got draft boards for draft season as well which is really really cool um so go check them out that promo code is tnff and you get a free championship ring with the purchase of a championship trophy or a title belt so rock the hardware with trophy smack all righty, Ty. So now that we paid the bills, let's talk about the bills. Um, 
Josh yeah. Allen and the crew did not have the best week against your Stillers this past week. That defense looked incredible, but uh, you know, the Bills did not look like their 2021 self. So right off the hop, are you worried about Josh Allen at all? Nah, I mean, Josh Allen still had a ton of design rushing plays, which is a big deal for me. Uh, that's how Singletary could still account for less than half of the team's rush attempts on a low volume run team uh, with Zach Moss out. Uh, Devin Singletary actually really quick, just an off, uh, like he did look really good, especially in the fourth quarter. He did fumble twice though, even though you didn't lose either of them. That's just, mm-hmm. I think important to remember because Zach Moss was inactive. Uh, and by the by, I know negative game script, blah, 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 but the bills passed the ball 73% of the time. Almost uh, all of those targets went to the wide receiver position. So not worried about Josh Allen. And there's a lot of like ambiguity in this wide receiver room, but I still like, I just kind of want all the bills wide receivers. You know what I mean? Uh, Like Gabe Davis is interesting. I think he would be the one that is going to generate a lot of conversation. He also got banged up at the end of this game, but his usage was good and bad. Like he was in, at the goal line for multiple snaps. That's where he scored his touchdown, but he was so clearly the wide receiver four in the offense behind Diggs, behind Beasley, behind Emmanuel Sanders, looking at snaps, looking at route run participation Mm -hmm. targets even, but Beasley and Gabe Davis, they like split the total teams end zone targets. Like they were definitely involved at that, in that area of the field. Uh, I think Gabe Davis also saw an average depth of target over 17. Emmanuel Sanders' average depth target was over 20. I know. I saw. Yeah. I was just going to say that was like the coolest part. I was yeah. digging through all the Bills stuff, and I saw your boy, Ty, Emmanuel Sanders, with a 20.3 average depth of target. And I was like, yeah. by right, bud. Well, I think he is kind um, of a screaming buy. Like for oh, fantasy, that's... I would consider Beasley kind of the solid wide receiver four guy with definitely upside from week to week. Um, but I, yeah, like when the Bills aren't playing the Steelers, who were playing too high, and getting home, you know, rushing just four, uh, that high average depth of target, that route participation for Emmanuel Sanders, that's going to lead to some blow up weeks. And uh, even Gabe Davis is very much involved in the game plan. Totally. Manny Sanders was my biggest takeaway from the passing game in general is just that he is what you said he was going to be, Ty, and he's going to be, I think, the second wide receiver option in this offense. So I love that. Um, And just to circle back to Josh Allen, he's going to be fine. Like you said, like it was a it was a fairly low scoring game for the most part. And he still threw the ball 51 times. He threw for just under 500 air yards, Ty. And the only person who had more than him this past week was Derek Carr, who had an extra quarter to play with against the Baltimore Ravens. So um, he's going to be just fine. Let's not uh, let's not be too um, too hard on Josh Allen for a tough game against a tough defense because that Steelers defense looks absolutely deadly, buddy. So I'm sure that's nice for you as a Steelers fan. Um, yeah, I think like this backfield's also a tough one to shake out. I just think we don't really want these pieces, right, Ty? Like I'm I'm not necessarily that in on Zach Moss. Um, if you have them, I'm holding just because I don't think I'm going to get much for them both Singletary and Moss. Um, and then if they have a blow up game or something like that, then you sell them big time, but we don't see a lot of targets. We don't even see a lot of carries. You said it's over like 70% of uh, their pa- their plays were passing plays. Then you factor in the nine rushing attempts that Josh Allen had. And that's about 80 plus percentage of the plays that are not going to the running backs. So I think it's just not a very lucrative backfield, which is unfortunate because I think if they made a concerted effort to do it, they totally could be. Yeah, and they might in some matchups in some second halves, for sure, when they're not playing a Steelers team that kind of gets out in front of them or uh, force them to make some mistakes. Yeah, Yeah. so 
we're going to go to La La Land and talk about them charges. They play the Dallas Cowboys this week, which I think is a really nice get right game after playing that tough Washington defense this past week. The Chargers came out with the last minute win, which has been quite the opposite of what's happened for that team over the past few years. They've, uh, They've had some serious freaking heartbreak, that team. So it was nice to see them with uh, Justin Herbert going into his second season, get that win from a real football standpoint. Um, but what are you making of this offense, Ty? Like Mike Williams had a buttload of targets. The weirdest thing, Austin Eckler had a buttload of carries in like near the goal line, but a zilcher in the target categories. Um, why don't you start with the passing weapons? Is Mike Williams a guy that we can put in our wide receiver three spot and be confident about at this point? Oh yeah. I think Mike Williams is definitely the big takeaway in the past game. It. Like he is the wide, he's a wide receiver three for fantasy, especially with the Cowboys on the schedule, you know, who are very susceptible of the deep ball. There's nobody on that defense who can cover Mike Williams, but even in a prime matchup, I'd, I'm probably still starting guys like Brandon cooks, Jamar chase, your boy, Doug Bonte Smith might be someone I'm sure. starting over Mike yep. Williams still. So I'm not like ready to say that this guy's like a must start. Um, guys like that, I still want over Mike Williams, even when Mike Williams is in like a golden matchup. Eckler was the one who had like a strange outing, right? Like, and remember he was playing through a hamstring injury as well. Um, mm-hmm. but it was weird because he got all the team's goal line carries 100% of them. Uh, but yeah, the zero catch is just bizarre. And another, uh, kind of anomaly is that according to pro football focus, nobody had more 10 zone carries than Austin Eckler's four in week one or, and Justin Herbert also had four, but, uh, Eckler saw just 10 carries from inside the 10 in 2020 and just 11 the year before when he delivered like a high end fantasy football performance for owners. So this usage in close is super encouraging for Austin Eckler. It's uh, one of the parts of the puzzle for the pitcher that we'd want to put on display for Austin Eckler having a top five running back season, I think. And uh, in my, uh, you know, in my opinion, the catches will definitely come. Uh, maybe Anthony Lynn propped up the running back market chair a little bit, but Eckler has been a revelation in the, in the passing game, like a stud. So I expect week one to be the outlier in terms of the pass oh, yeah. catching work. Uh, like he's a clear running back one, I think for fantasy going forward, a guy you could buy high on maybe Justin Herbert. I thought just really interesting. He did have four carries from inside the 10 yard line and didn't score on any of them, even though all five of his rushing touchdowns last year came on his 14 carries from inside the 10 yard line. So I think, He's like my quarterback six or seven this week going against Dallas. And uh, with the matchup, I think Herbert, like for DFS, has quarterback one overall upside uh, this week. What, what what do you think about Austin Eckler, though? Do you think he is a buy high guy? Yeah, I think like you definitely could. And I don't even know if you'd be buying high at this point off that zero targets, right? Like somebody might be in panic mode. So if you can go get Austin Eckler, you hammer that because I just mean he's gonna be expensive. Like would you uh, pay absolutely up? Yeah. yeah, I think I might actually. I think I might because if we see that goal line work, which is what's hindered him his entire and not even hindered him because he still puts up killer seasons, that's what's that's what's kept me a little bit uh hesitant on Austin Eckler was the rushing work and the rushing work near the goal line, but if we're seeing that, man, he's um, easy top 12 option. And like you said, the, the, the guy averaged like 10 targets per game with Justin Herbert previous to that. So last season, and that's like a 10 game sample size or something, I think. So um, he's going to get those and he's going to be up near the target leader for running backs at the end of the season. So I'm not shook about that. And if you add all that goal line work where you can punch in some extra touchdowns, I think that only cements him as the top 12 option with probably like weekly running back one over 
one overall upside. So I'm loving me some Austin Eckler. And uh, I'm also pumping the brakes a little bit on Mike Williams. I think you can definitely slot him in because the way he plays above the rim, you only need two or three targets for him to put up a decent fantasy week. And I think he's got a pretty elite quarterback throwing him the ball. Um, but if, uh, you know, we got Jared Cook had eight targets. Jalen Guyton had five targets. So I think there's some guys that Justin Herbert likes on this team. So I don't think we can expect 12 targets for Mike Williams weekly. Um, but I think he's more of that kind of boomer bust option where the booms are going to be really nice for us. Um, yeah, and I don't think I'm investing in Jalen Guyton just because I think it's going to be a little bit iffy with him and Josh Palmer and those targets that Jared Cook saw. It looks like Jared Cook's been going to be heavily involved in this Bye, offense Jared as Cook. well. So yeah, definitely buy him because he's, everybody just thinks he's dust, but you could be getting yourself a top 12 tight end this year. So if you didn't invest in the draft, maybe the injury bug or whatever might've hit, um, Jared Cook's a nice little buy for 2021. Oh, totally. I I hate Jared Cook, but buy Jared Cook in fantasy. water, yeah. Um, Okay, this one, this one's going to be all you, buddy. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Najee Harris had 100% of the snaps. Not a very efficient game on all those snaps, but I do think you think it's the worst ever? Rich Rebar, Rich Rebar <laughs> yeah. tweeted something about out about uh, it being the worst of any running back since 2012 or something that had 100 percent snap rate. For mm-hmm. I think it even went back further to like 2005 or something like no, that, it, which yeah. is uh, yeah. Um, so I think it's pretty safe to say that we should probably be trying to buy an Ajay if it if at all possible. Um, there's got to be better days ahead for him, eh? Yeah, I mean, there's some concern about that ultimate ceiling, right? That's what we were talking about once he started to move up into that, you know, almost that first round of fantasy drafts. But I still love Najee Harris. I think passing game work is the key, and that's why I am buying on Najee Harris. Like, he saw multiple targets inside the 10-yard line, uh, which is, you know, there was only like six or seven guys who did that in week one. So the passing game is kind of where I'm like, I'm buying Najee and I'm still kind of selling the passing game. Like there not a lot's changed for me, I guess, after one week uh, in Pittsburgh, like it looked a lot like we thought it would the passing game with big Ben kind of being all over the place as usual, but the play action rate was, was pretty encouraging. Uh, and I, I think like Deontay and Claypool, like I thought it was interesting that Juju was kind of the wide receiver one when it comes to route participation and snaps and stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe that's just a little bit Deontay being banged up a little bit and he was still the highest targeted player. So uh, I, I think we we have to be water a little bit in this, in this wide receiver room. Like I actually don't love any of these guys at cost. Probably uh, mm-hmm. I kind of expect them all to be in that 25 to 30% range for air yards, just kind of cannibalizing each other with some disparities, uh, you know, a little bit more volume for Deontay and Juju compared to Claypool. But I think I probably still want Claypool uh, because especially this week playing the Raiders, who I expect to be terrible against pass, terrible against the deep ball, terrible against play action, uh, terrible against guys who can generate yards after the catch. Like they just miss tackles galore. And uh, so, you know, for this week, I think Deontay is like a solid wide receiver too, no doubt. And I think he will be, for most weeks because of the floor he comes with in Deontay Johnson Claypool. I like is like a juicy flex almost every week, but mm-hmm. he could probably sniff wide receiver two conversations and rankings like this week, or at least, you know, maybe someone I target in DFS for GPPs. Um, Cause Claypool has a really high ceiling against the Raiders this week. Then there's Juju who I guess is what a wide receiver three or flex play against the Raiders. But I just couldn't be more bored of Juju Smith-Schuster because I didn't even throw him in that Mike Williams conversation, but he's right around there in my rankings probably. Like Devontae Smith, Cooks, all those guys. Like I want all those guys in my lineup over Juju because, you know, they offer so much more upside. And then, you know, there are wide receiver three or fours anyway. So that's what I'm chasing out of that guy. So 
Mm-hmm. A lot of rambly thoughts on the Steelers, but basically I feel a lot in the way that we felt preseason. And I think they'll run more plays on offense in week two. They just had kind of a, a really low play volume game. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think that's a that's a fair assessment too. Like I was definitely on Juju. I thought there was a world where, you know, they could get him down the field a little bit more as far as his average depth of target, but that remains to be seen because his average depth of target this past week was a whopping 6.6 yards. It was actually better than Devon or than Deontay Johnson. Deontay got uh 10 targets though and got the touchdown as well. So, I think it goes Deontay Claypool and Juju for me, Ty, whereas previously I probably would have been Juju as the second option with Claypool as the boomer bust third option, but they still like to use Claypool creatively. I think you got to carry in that game. Um, so I think he's uh, running like routes said, on like over 80% yeah. of the snaps, like which is way he's just juicy. Master. He's just a juicy guy. And an interesting note on Najee, I'm looking at PFF right now and uh, he ran the second most routes on this team behind Juju. He ran 30 to Deontay and, uh, and Claypool's 29. So I think that's just encouraging for Najee that better days are probably ahead. Um, and I think he can hit some of that ceiling, which, uh, which we might be questioning as well. Okay, so speaking of ceiling, yeah. speaking of ceiling, yes. let me let me yes. kind of serve Please. this one up to you because I okay. see the Eagles are next here, and you know they get the win over Atlanta on the back of Jalen Hurts and their most recent two first round picks. So why don't I give you a little rapid fire with the, okay. like Devontae Smith? Do you think he's a wide receiver three with upside? Oh yeah, I think he's got to be a weekly wide receiver three. I think he's getting near. And obviously after one game, that's a little bit much, but it's very clear that he is going to be the main target on this team. And I think he's near back in top 24 wide receivers for me, if they can continue to um, improve on what they did this past week and do some of the things that I saw them do, which I was pleasantly freaking surprised. Nick Sirianni, thank you. But yeah, I think Devontae is probably almost pushing top 24 for me. Interesting. Yeah, I was a little off Deontay. Uh, you know, I was a little off Devontae Smith. So, you know, in the offseason at cost, but I'm definitely coming around. I'll say that yeah. it was against Atlanta. So I want to yeah. see it again against, but you know, it might be too late at that point. Let's put it that way. Yeah. What is Jalen Rager? I think he's got to be a wide receiver four with upside. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not going to be heavily targeted. I think Devontae Smith is going to be, you know, whatever heavily targeted in this Eagle offense is going to be. I think Devontae is going to be it. Um, But I think Jalen could have some of those pop-off weeks, right? He's really good after the catch. They showed that they are going to want to use these weapons after the catch. 13 of Jalen Hurts' 35 passing attempts came behind the line of scrimmage in week one against Atlanta. So I think that just speaks to letting these guys get in some space and do some work. And I think that plays right into Jalen's game. But I just think it's going to have to be a low-volume, high-efficiency kind of production profile for Jalen Reger, for lack of better words, because uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing like six, seven, eight targets per game. I think it's just going to be very spotty where he gets that. So I'm not necessarily... Yeah, going out and acquiring Jalen Rager, but if I have him, I would, I could put him in my flex as somebody who very well could disappoint me in the same vein that he could have a boom week winning week. And they're sure using the running backs in the passing game, so that you know behind the line of scrimmage stat doesn't surprise me. And uh, yeah, Hertz I think only had one pass travel fifteen yards or further downfield. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, thinking of my Boston Scott call, my apologies, everybody. I was just trying to predict, you know, the lack of assuming rational coaching because we did like Kenny Gamewell and we love the skill set that he offers. So are you going out and buying Kenny Gamewell right now? 
I think you could, man. Like, I think uh, he got some usage. He got some red zone work. He punched in a red zone touchdown. He got three targets to uh, Miles Sanders' four. Uh, so I think they want to get him involved in this offense, and they showed that they trust him in situations. He was predominantly in there in two-minute situations at the end of the half. So they really trust Kenny, Kenny Gainwell more so than I expected. I thought it was going to be Boston Scott and then Kenny Gainwell kind of slowly works himself into that second role, but we didn't see much Boston Scott whatsoever. So Kenneth Gainwell is the second running back, but I, uh, I think I'm just kind of, for me, it just confirmed that Miles Sanders can be kind of that top 15 running back if, uh, if they continue on this route. But I think the running backs in this offense are going to be ones that we kind of want for fantasy. Where are you sitting? Cause I know you loved Kenny Gainwell coming out and you even liked him to have some standalone value later in the season after he maybe usurped Boston Scott. But what are you thinking as far as that backfield now, Ty? Yeah, I really like Gamewell. And if Miles Sanders was to miss any time, I think he could have huge league winning upside. Uh, I think the offensive line he missed practice today, actually. Yeah, with an ankle or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I like the uh, who is that ex rugby guy on the offensive line for Philadelphia? Jordan Mylotta just yeah, signed so a Mylotta, big deal. Yeah, I really like uh, what's going on in that offensive line. So if they can stay healthy, I think there's a lot of upside for whoever the lead back is. And I think we're going to see a lot of uh, running back market share, which I wasn't necessarily expecting with mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts. So I, I think uh, game script might have fed some of that, like some of the easy passing work that we saw. But it was definitely encouraging. And I think Kenny Gainwell being so involved and just super definitively being ahead of Boston Scott just makes him a buy because I was interested in Boston Scott just knowing how, you know, much of a committee we could see uh, in Seriani's system with Miles Sanders as the lead guy. No, yeah, I like that. And and uh, just kind of like I said, Ty, I think we're just going to want pieces. And Kenneth Gainwell was a running back that probably should have gone higher than the fifth round. Um, I think the Eagles... We're pretty thrilled to get him there, and they're just kind of showing that he's going to use him. I think another guy who kind of cemented himself for me a little bit was Dallas Goddard as well, Ty. Um, He had a red zone touchdown and just kind of showed that he can be that option. We talk about Yak and them scheming up for yards after the catch. I think Dallas Goddard's probably one of the best after the catch tight ends in the NFL already. Um, And then if he can add red zone work to that, which they've shown they're going to give him, Couple in the fact that Zachary's got a little banged up in that game, and I think he missed practice today as well. I think Dallas Goddard slots in as a top eight tight end for me um, in that offense because I think Jalen Hurts is going to target him as a bit of a safety blanket, and I was very thankful to see that Goddard is still involved, even with Ertz being active for, for the most part. So are you in on Goddard? I know there was a little bit of trepidation as we were coming into the season with Zach Ertz being active and looking like he was going to be a big piece of this offense, or are you in on, on uh, Godard? Well, also, you know, I, I believe in that whole relationship between running back targets and tight end targets a lot of the time. So those short area targets. So you see a lot of targets going to the running back position. Hard to imagine also a lot of targets going to the tight end position, even though we have seen that a little bit in Philly, but definitely leaning way more on the spectrum of tight end targets. So mm-hmm. I am not sold on Dallas Goddard. Long story short, I still think, you know, he fought, belongs in that like Noah Fant kind of tier, you know what I mean? Where they aren't going to be top five tight ends for me ever, but they're going to be in that tight end five to 12 range every week yeah. where, you know, they're going to rotate whether I like Logan Thomas or Noah Fant's matchup or uh, John U. Smith gets the Jets this week. I think Rob Gronkowski came out and blew up and now he has the Falcons. Like, yep. you know, I think tight end is tough. So if you want to have Goddard as a top eight tight end, sure. If you want to have him as your tight end 12, sure. Uh, you know, I don't mind starting Robert Tanyan over over Dallas Goddard this this mm-hmm. week, even though I think I have him ranked like three tight end spots lower than Dallas Goddard. So 
it's it's tricky. I just don't think we should jump the shark with Dallas Goddard and suggest that he belongs uh, because we've seen some of these other guys like Hawkinson and Kyle Pitts really uh, come out and look like they could actually make that leap into the next category mm-hmm. uh, or the next tier. Whereas I don't see that with Dallas Goddard or Noah Fant just because of the limitations in their offense or in yeah. the, uh, the weapons around them. Yeah, no, I don't think you're definitely not saying that the talent isn't there because I think it's safe to say that the talent's definitely there for both of them to do that. But yeah, it is the offensive limitations that probably will stop them being there. But I'm I'm getting in on Dallas Goddard a little bit more. I was hesitant as we approached the season. Um, it was a really uh, emotional roller coaster for me with Dallas Goddard this past season because I was invested in him in like eighth rounds early in the offseason thinking Zach Ertz is going to be gone. Zach Ertz comes back. My heart's broken. Now Ga- Dallas Goddard shows that he can be effective with Zach Ertz and my my heart is whole again. So um, a bit of a roller coaster for old T-Rab, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, it's a slippery slope. I just think you could go get like an Adam Troutman who's like seeing a lot more work, so to speak, like target shares, you know, always a murky thing after one week. But and when your team only throws 20 times like Jameis did, but Adam Troutman's a guy I might go out and buy because it'll be so much cheaper and might offer the same upside in my eyes. Um, but Dallas Goddard, definitely if Zach Ertz was to get hurt or, if, you know, even a, a couple injuries hit, hit that wide, that, that offense in Philadelphia, um, maybe Goddard could have that top five season. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, Ty, we are going to whip a quick segment of I Got Five on it with Monkey Knife Fight here. Um, of course, Monkey Knife Fight is our title YouTube sponsor for the TNFF Network, um, our longest running sponsor, and we love doing work with them. We made a little bit of cash last week, Ty. We were one for two on our props that we laid down. Um, but if anyone else wants to get in there and make some cheddar, you can do that too by signing up at Monkey Knife Fight with the promo code TNFF. What that'll get you is an extra $50 on your initial deposit of 50 bucks so if you drop 50 they'll give you another 50 you got a cool hundy and you can play on monkey knife fight and make some cash like we are we're just gonna do one this week ty we um we were so so (laughs) we got smoked on touchdown dance this past week and we are running a little bit long on this epi so we're just gonna do one uh more or less competition so what it is is basically you get a line for these players say x amount of receiving yards you decide if he's going to go more, if he's going to go less. If you hit on both of them, we can multiply our cash money by, in this one, it's 3.6 times because we're only going with two props there. But you can get into you know eight different player props on one game, and that'll multiply your money by like 100 or 50 or something like that. So you, know, you can go out on a limb with a five spot, and then you can turn that five into 500 if you hit on it. So it's a lot of fun to play on Monkey Knife Fight. Again, that promo code is TNFF, and you'll get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. Okay, so the Thursday nighter is the one we always zero in on. This isn't the juiciest Thursday nighter. I will be honest with the Giants and the Washington football team and Taylor Heineken coming in there for a beverage at quarterback. Um, But the first guy we're going to talk about here is Terry Mactai. We talked about him a little bit earlier. We think he's quarterback proof. He has shown that. Do you think against the New York Giants that Terry McLaurin will get more or less than 74 and a half receiving yards? Hmm, that mm-hmm. is That's a really close high. line. 74 and a half. Let's go under, I guess. That's just too yeah. high for me, Bob. That's too high, Bob. I like that. I would probably have gone the same. Um, and how about Sterling Shepard, Ty? He had a big week one for the New York Giants, but I don't think uh, – 
you know, I don't think he's the most tantalizing option and that's probably a product of his offense. But um, I heard somebody say that number three, Sterling Shepard is a far different player than at his previous number. So maybe the single digit numbers streamlined him a little bit, um, or maybe Danny Dimes has an easier time seeing the single they digit numbers. Like, like the, him and Daniel Jones, like say what you want about Shepard. Those two have a, have a connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that line for Sterling Shepard against a really good Washington defense is 59 and a half receiving yards. That one's tempting. You're going to go know. under on that one. Okay. Very yeah. good. Very good. I, no, I like, close, right? like I, I think McLaurin probably sees about 70 yards receiving. I think Shepard probably only has like six catches for 50 yards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think these are pretty close, but yeah. that's an easy one where I'd veer towards the under beauty. So it's a, a 3.6 times multiplier. I know we call this segment, I got five on it, but I'm going to drop another 10 on it. So I got 10 on it today. Ty, we'll turn our $10 into $36 tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. I did forget to tweet it out last week, Ty. So sorry to our listeners who are trying to track that. But um, get in there. And if you win any cash on Monkey Knife Fight, send us a screenshot. Let's celebrate together, folks. We want to celebrate the W's and making some of that chatter with Monkey Knife Fight. Okay, Ty, let's, uh, we got another quick segment. I don't want to like, I don't want to bounce our ranking section or segment because I think there's some really interesting stuff to talk about, but I think we need to rapid fire a little bit. Do you mind if I just rapid fire mine real quick here, Ty, and then you can take the floor. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. So my quarterback that I have, um, and basically what we do is we go into fantasy pros and we find the difference between our rank and expert consensus. So if we are a a ways off of what the expert consensus is saying, we want to talk about it and say why we're, why we are um, going that route. Um, And the first guy on the docket for me is Tyrod Taylor quarterback from the Houston Texans had a solid week last week and this week they play the Cleveland Browns. I know Cleveland has a good defense, but I think Tyrod has a little bit of that built in upside with his legs. Um, He had four rushes for 40 yards. And um, it's funny. I did a little piece saying Tyrod was a guy that you could start. And one of the stats that I cited was that previously, he um in his starts he had averaged 40 rushing yards per game and then that's an uh, additional four points for you as a fantasy gamer he got right on the button on that this past week so i think you have if you have a floor of four fantasy points from his legs and then you factor in that they have a garbo defense that is going to get scored on and baker and the browns showed that they can score some points this past week against kansas city um i think tyrod's gonna have to throw the ball as well and we know that he likes to take deep shots so i think tyrod i've got him 12 spots higher than ecr out on a limb at quarterback 13 but i believe in ty god as a fantasy asset uh, next guy, Ty, I did this specifically to pull on your heartstrings, but also because I really, really believe in the matchup and the player this week, Aaron Jones versus Detroit. And this might be a bit of a hot, you know what? This is probably a bit of a hot take, Ty, but he is my running back one on the week. I know wow. Christian McCaffrey is yeah, the guy. CMC, no matter what. Wow. Yeah, but still, man, I think Aaron Jones is going to have one of those pop-off weeks. Everybody talks about Aaron Rodgers being pissed off. I think this whole team is going to be pissed off about that performance that they just had against the Saints. And I think that trickles down to Aaron Jones. AJ Dillon and Kylan Hill aren't really worrying me too, too much. I think they're fighting for ancillary duties. Now, Aaron Jones's snap share wasn't great this past week, but I don't think we expected him to be getting 80% snaps. I think we expected him to be around that 60 to 65 like he had in week one. And I think the type of player he is, he can pop off for that big week against that terrible Detroit defense. Aaron Jones is my running back one for week two tie, and I am fired up for it. I can't wait to see that come to fruition. Couple more, DeAndre Swift. I got him five spots higher than ECR because he's going to be the main runner. And <laughs> him, him, and Jamal Williams had, I think, 
each had nine targets this past week and DeAndre Swift, like it, it gave him nine targets and that guy's going to explode um, against Green Bay who should be ahead. They should need to pass the ball. Jared Goff threw the ball 58 times last week. And I think DeAndre Swift is going to be a beneficiary of that all season long because Detroit's going to be behind in a lot of games. Elijah Mitchell, I actually actually have him 12 spots lower than ECR tie for what we talked about earlier, just that these other guys are going to be involved. Let's not fall into the trap that Elijah Mitchell is going to be getting 20 totes per. And then I got Tyler Lockett, who we talked about. I got him four spots higher at wide receiver eight. And then DJ Chark, this isn't like a super high. Uh, there we go. Coach Craig in the comments, DeAndre Swift had 12 targets. My apologies. That's even better. Um, DJ Chark, I've got him at wide receiver 39, which is five spots higher than ECR. I just think, you know, he didn't get a high volume target share last week, but the guy is going to get at least three or four deep shots per game with a shitty defense in Jacksonville. So those are some of the guys that I'm a little bit higher on and that I would be confident um, starting in pivotal roles in my offense for week two. Fire away, brother. Yeah, I like a lot of those guys. So I I put a couple quarterbacks. I also went a little bit different here, Trav. I didn't necessarily do against ECR. I totally okay. just based on uh, what we were supposed to do. I thought we were doing like kind of surprising rankings. You know what okay. I mean? So I I just kind of have a bunch of takeaways from my from my first you know overhaul of week two rankings. Uh, Russell Wilson definitely that top five quarterback ranking. I just think is something that we could maybe anticipate going forward. Definitely in this Titans matchup. Taylor Heineke, I think you can start in Superflex Leagues if you were able to pick him up. Uh, four of my top 12 wide receivers are Cowboys and Seahawks this week. I think eight of my top 20 wide receivers come from just four teams this week, Trav. And that's the Cowboys with Lamb and Cooper, Seahawks with DK and Lockett, and then the Buccaneers who play Atlanta. I have Godwin and Mike Evans right in that top 20. And Vikings wide receivers who play Arizona. And I think we'll see a lot of play volume. Like I think that has shootout potential if Kirk Cousins and co. can keep up. And so I think uh, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson belong both in the top 20. Speaking of highly ranked teammates, I have Kareem Hunt ranked really high this week. Like both him and Nick Chubb, I think, could finish as top 12 running backs this mm-hmm. week or top 15 or whatever. Uh, lower on some guys that we talked about, like Robbie Anderson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Melvin Gordon would make that list for running backs. I do have Javante over Melvin Gordon, Ooh. which is very much in uh, – you know, that's contrarian for ECR and everything. I think most people are, you know, five, six spots ahead of Javante with Melvin Gordon. Yep. Uh, But Melvin, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Javante out-touched and out-snapped Melvin Gordon in week one. James Robinson, super frustrating, and his low ranking kind of surprises me or angers me. Not sure which one, but definitely angry at Urban Meyer. Just don't understand Mm -hmm. why they won't fall against Houston. Not sure how why they're giving so much touches to Carlos Hyde. Just not sure yeah. what the hell is going on there. Um, speaking of not knowing what the hell is going on with Urban Meyer and his Jaguars, I don't have them figured out. So my wide receivers uh, in that room, like Chenault, Marvin Jones, and DJ Chark, I have all ranked really close to one another. And yeah. maybe the play is to have them all as wide receiver threes or fours, but I think one of those guys blows up. And I actually think DJ Chark might be the least likely because you are banking on that deep shot hitting. Um, and as much as that might be there late in games with Trevor Lawrence and the way this offense is playing out, um, if the assumption of rational coaching plays out a little bit more, I would just expect LaVisca Chenault to start being the top scoring guy. Maybe Marvin Jones having that touchdown upside. And then DJ Chark, uh, I think you're going to be waiting for a lot of fourth quarters for him to pay off, which could happen. Yeah, which could happen the way this offense is is shaping up right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Beautifully said, my friend. Beautifully said. And that is a wrap for tonight's episode. As always, it was a pleasure, Ty. Uh, anybody listening, thank you for sticking it out. Coach Craig, you're the bomb, buddy. Always in the comments from start to finish. We love you, brother. Um, yeah, I just want to keep pumping that site, truenorthffb.com. Go check it out. we got some cool resources on there, some cool data. Um, I, I just really like what we're doing. The, the articles are pumping from the team. Everybody's bought in and invested and, and really just love the work that's happening over on the .com. Um, follow the brand on Twitter at True North FFB. Follow this particular show on Twitter at TNFF Pod. Um, yeah, go check out Trophy Smack, Monkey Knife Fight, and the Fantasy Points, uh, FantasyPoints.com because we love all of them and doing great work in their own right. Um, and then as far as the TNFF network for the rest of the week, go check out SODFS next week. The boys, D Brown and Nate are hitting their stride on the sons of Di- sons of DFS show. Um, and it's really good content. I'm learning a lot about DFS as somebody who hasn't historically dabbled so much. And then we got the point after on Friday with Jules doing great work. He's got a little bit of a DFS touch and a little bit of a se- season long touch. So it's a nice versatile way to finish off your week on the TNFF network. So make sure you subscribe to that channel. Sub that, sub that. Beam, 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 beam. Right, Ty? Um, is that, yeah, what, is that how the kids say it? Yeah. That subscribe, or smash that like Go button. Smash the like button. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so um, any parting shots for the people, my brother? Nope. Sons of DFS tomorrow night. Let's do it. Let's go. 9 p.m. Eastern right here. But until next week, I am Trav, that is Ty, this is the True North Fantasy Pod, and we will see you then. Peace.